Today, we're going to talk about, I think, probably the, one of the most. I mean, it might not be the most, but it might just be the most awful story in all the Bible. Because you have a parent who is confronting the loss of the child, and yet in this case, the parent is being asked by none other than God Himself to sacrifice that child. And so, we're going to begin our study this morning about Abraham sacrificing Isaac. But in order to, to understand the significance of this story, to understand the heart of God, because that's what we really want to understand. We want to understand what God is saying and what God is trying to help us understand by, by telling us this terrible story. In order to understand what God is trying to do here, we actually need to take a few moments to kind of talk about who Abraham was. I know you've been studying who Abraham was and is over the last several weeks and months here at, uh, at Kingscliff Church, but I want to I talk a little bit about Abraham. First off, Scripture says three times that Abraham was a friend of God. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if, if I were to die, and at my funeral, somebody was just, just, just everybody in the audience, they, they were going to get up and say something about, about Nathan Renner. If three people stood up and said Nathan Renner was a friend of God, I would say that was a life well lived. Amen? Amen? So, one of the first things I want you to understand about who Abraham was, was that Abraham was a friend of God. He was someone who related to God as a true heartfelt friend. Abraham was a friend of God. That, that's the first thing that, that we learn about Abraham, at least this morning. The second thing that we learn about Abraham is that Abraham was a man of tremendous faith. All throughout the New Testament, Abraham is the man of faith. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> there, at every opportunity, people take every opportunity they're talking about Abraham, they, they want nothing more than to remind us that Abraham was a man of great faith. And so, so Abraham was a friend of God, number one. Abraham was a man of great faith. And number, number three, Abraham was a man of great failure. So often we flatten the Bible story. We make the Bible story just so flat. It's like the Bible heroes are just totally awesome. They had no flat sides. They had no weaknesses. And we just really flattened the story. But when we read about Abraham all throughout the, uh, the Old Testament, and even when we see him described in the New Testament as a man of faith, we see in Abraham a man of great failure. Abraham is called in Genesis chapter 12. And immediately after he is called, he is very dishonest about the nature of his relationship with his wife. He, he lies and says that she is his sister. A few chapters later, Abraham enters, God enters into covenant with Abraham. As soon as God enters into covenant with Abraham, he's like getting busy with Hagar. So we see that Abraham is a friend of God. We see that Abraham is a man of great faith. And yet, being a friend of God and being a man of great faith is, is, is not, it's not over, it doesn't make it impossible for him to be a man of failure. You follow that? 
And, and I don't know about you, but I, I often think to myself, I wish that there were less failures in my life. And sometimes I'm even tempted to think, man, if I could just have less failures, then I, wouldn't, then I could be a real person of faith. I don't know, do you wrestle with that? Yeah, okay, at least the sister in the front row wrestles with that. You re- anybody else wrestle with that? You think, if I could, if I could fail less then I could be a person of great faith. Thank you. But, but what we see in the life of Abraham is that his failures did not keep him from being a man of faith. That Abraham was a man of faith. He was a man that was a friend of God, and he was also a man who confronted significant failure in his life. And, and he was a man who actually ended up suffering great pain because of his failure. I mean, can you imagine being in a situation like Abraham was where he was married to Sarah and she was kind of not exactly the greatest wife. I mean, she cooked up the terrible plan to sleep with her servant. So you got Abraham who's got this kind of tough relationship with his wife. He's lying about who she is. And then she comes up with the idea to sleep with Hagar. And then she then hates Hagar. And God and she and, and, and God eventually tells Abraham to get rid of, to put Hagar and, and Ishmael out of his life. Can you imagine the incredible pain that that must have caused in Abraham's heart? So Abraham was a friend of God. He was a follower of God. He had great faith in God, but he, he had a life punctuated with very significant failures. Now, Abraham, he, he was not like a, a fifth-generation Sevi. Abraham came from a pagan home. And I'd like to take you to the book of Joshua. If you have your Bible, you can open there. Joshua chapter... Joshua chapter... 24, and we're going to look in verse 2. Joshua is in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua, Joshua 24, and I want you to notice there in verse 2, God has, Joshua has gathered all of God's people together, and Joshua's going to rehearse a bit of their history, and Joshua, I'm in Joshua 24, verse 2, and Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. So I want you to understand something very significant. Abraham grew up in a pagan land. Abraham grew up in a family that served false gods. Abraham was not raised worshiping the true God. Abraham was raised worshiping false gods. In fact, go to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 18, or excuse me, Ezekiel 16, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. So Ezekiel is toward the middle of the Bible. Go to the middle of the Bible. Ezekiel chapter 16, probably one of the more beautiful chapters in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 16. We're going to begin in verse 1. God is speaking to Ezekiel, and it says, Again, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations. Okay, so Jerusalem, God's people were, were, were pretty sinful right now. And, and I want you to notice what, what, what Ezekiel says in verse 3. And say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, 
your origin and your birth of the, are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother was a what? A Hittite. Now, what I want you to understand here is, is that Ezekiel is, is talking to God's people and they're very arrogant and they're very proud and, and they think, we're God's people. We are God's special people living here in Jerusalem. And, and, and what, what Ezekiel is doing is reminding them that actually they are just like everyone else. The Jewish nation came from pagan origin. They, they, their mother was an Amorite. Their father was a Hittite. They are pagans. So, so when we're talking about Abraham, when we're talking about Abraham, this man of great faith, I want you to understand something. He's like you. In that, I, I, you struggle with being worldly? Do you have crazy thoughts that go through your head because you didn't always live your life serving God? You, you did your own thing and you cultivated thoughts and feelings and, and attitudes and ideas and, and then now you're trying to live your life by faith in God's promises and, and while you're living your life by faith in God's promises, you find yourself thinking and feeling in ways that, that are rooted in your original pagan identity? So though Abraham was a friend of God, though Abraham was a man of faith, he was also a man of failure, and he was a man who didn't come into the world pristine. He came into the world in a pagan home. He came into the world in a pagan culture. In fact, the, the, the Canaanite religions that Abraham would have been exposed to in his youth were absolutely perverse in two primary ways. That, well, two, maybe three. Primary way number one, they were totally, completely idolatrous. Connected to that, and that's why I say two or three, depending on how you define it. Connected to that idolatry was, was, was pornography. Yeah, you think to yourself, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the, that's, the, that's the modern scourge. No, that's not the modern scourge. When they ex excavate and do archaeological digs, almost all of the idols that they find are fully pornographic. Okay. So Abraham was raised in a culture like you. He was raised in a culture of immorality. He was raised in a culture of idolatry. And, 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 and sort of the capstone of, of Canaanite religion is this idea that God is mad at you when you sin and that you need to make God happy with you and the way that you make God happy with you is by appeasing Him and if you've made God very angry, the only way that you can appease the wrath of God is actually by child sacrifice. You follow this, yes or no? So going into this study about the sacrifice of Isaac, I want you to, to put yourself in the place of Abraham, okay? You are Abraham. You are a friend of God. You're a person of faith, but you're also a person of failure, and that failure causes you at times to feel insecure in your relationship with God. Boy, that's not hard to imagine, is it? 
You're a friend of God, presumably here today. You're a friend of God. You're a person with faith, but you're a person with failure, with a pagan background, living in a pagan culture, and those failures cause you to feel insecure at times in your relationship. This is where Abraham is at. So let's pick the story up, Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. We're going to begin in chapter 22. And we're going to start in just the first verse. Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Take and uh, So God is testing Abraham. And God calls to Abraham. Abraham recognizes the voice of God. Abraham responds to the voice of God. Verse 2, this is the test that God gives. And, and maybe we can pause right here. God has two objectives in this chapter. Objective number one is to test Abraham. We'll talk about that in a minute. Objective number two is to reveal the truth of his own character. Okay? So those are the two objectives that God has. Number one, to test Abraham. Number two, to re reveal the truth of his own character. Now, we're going to ask this question. Why is God testing Abraham? Why is God going to do that? Why, why does God do that? The, here's the answer. Abraham has a life of faith. He's a friend of God. He also has a life of failure. And at the, at the end of the day, Abraham is going to be the father of God's people, the father of the people of faith. And so God is testing Abraham to examine the quality and the nature of his faith. Do you follow that, yes or no? Now, now, don't get worked up about that. Hang with me, because at the end of this thing, we are going to notice the reality of Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith. We're going to notice the quality and the nature of his faith, and I think you're going to be very inspired when you look at it. So look there, verse 2. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, I want you to notice how God opens this thing up. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Does that seem like God is like rubbing salt in the thing? Like, like I want you to sacrifice your son, but it's not, it's not just your son. It's your only son. You know, Isaac, the one that you really love? Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So Abraham, you know, it's very interesting. I, I think it's very interesting here in verse 3 that Abraham, gather, he saddles his donkey first, gathers his young men, and then he cuts the wood. You know what that tells me? That Abraham was not in the right frame of mind. You ever been in a circumstance where you had to do something that was just awful? And, and, and it's like you're just doing everything in the wrong order. 
You're just, you're just, you're just so out. And that's, that's the situation here. I mean, I mean, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to go cut a bunch of wood for the fire. But before that, I'm going to get my donkey completely ready to go. And I'm going to gather all my young men here. Then I'm going to chop the wood. It doesn't make sense. Abraham is totally floored and in agony by the request of God. Verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Now, I want you to notice, Abraham has a three-day journey to get to the place where God is calling him to sacrifice his son. And so, I, I want you to imagine that journey. Okay, God speaks to Abraham. God tells Abraham, go sacrifice your son. And so, Abraham, he, 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 he gathers the, the, the people, and he, he, he saddles the donkey, and he gathers the wood, and, and now he walks for day one. And at the end of day one, everybody goes to sleep. They're, they're none the wiser, and Abraham is there in agony, just thinking about what he has to do. I've, I mean, he certainly spent the night in prayer. The, the next morning, everybody wakes up, and he is still in agony, and they walk another full day, and Abraham is in agony and they set up camp and they go to sleep and again Abraham is wrestling through this issue <clears throat> and then they wake up and they walk on the third day and they come to the place that God instructed him. Verse 5, then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I want you to listen very carefully to the language of verse 5. Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. You know, it's very interesting. Abraham could have bailed out of this thing, and I think Abraham would have, would have had a good excuse to bail out of it. I mean, think about it. God told Abraham, you're going to have a child. Through this child, you're going to have a huge family. You're going to have through this child more children than there are stars in the sky. You're going to have more children than are in the sand of the sea. That's God's promise. Okay? Now, I want you to think. You have God's promise. You're going to have this massive amount of children. And now you are confronted with God's command. Okay? God's promise is through this child, you're going to have an unlimited number of children. That's God's promise. And now here's God's command. Kill that child. Now, do the, does God's command and His promise, do they seem contradictory? Like, God, if you're telling me to kill this child, then how, pray tell, is this child going to be the father of a great multitude of people, more than the stars in the sky, more than there are grains of sand in the sea? How is that possible? I mean, Abraham could have said, I, I, this cannot be from God because God's command and His promise can't contradict. It would have been so easy for Abraham to bail, but listen to what Abraham says. He says, the boy and I are going to go worship, and the boy and I are going to come back. So how does Abraham resolve in his mind the conflict between the command of God and the promise of God? He does it by believing that if God has called him to sacrifice his son then God must be planning on resurrecting His Son. 
In other words, when Abraham is confronted with God's promise and he's confronted with his command and he thinks the two are in opposition, the only way that he can resolve that tension in his own heart and in his own mind is by believing that God will resurrect his son. In fact, come with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. So, so while you're turning there, you see and you hear the faith in the voice of Abraham. When Abraham says, the boy and I are going to go over there and worship, the boy and I are coming back, that is a statement of faith from the heart of Abraham. Can you say amen to that? Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up Isaac, his only son, of whom it is said, through Isaac your offspring shall be named, verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You follow what, what, what Hebrews 11 is saying. Hebrews 11 is saying that, that when, when Abraham says, I'm going to go offer this, I'm going to go worship and I'm going to offer sacrifice and, and the boy's coming with me and the boy's coming back, that is an incredible statement of faith. That is, that is Abraham claiming the promise of God. That is Abraham resting in the promise of God. That is Abraham believing that God is capable of raising his son from the dead. And so, my friends, Abraham's faith is not about how good he is. It's not about how, how amazing he is. It is about his confidence in the power of God to raise the dead. Go back to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. There is a second incredible statement of faith in Genesis 22. We're going to begin in verse 6. Abraham says, the boy and I are going up. The boy and I are coming down. And then verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the flame and the knife. And they went, both of them, together. Verse 7. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. By the way, do you think that Moses is trying to capture the tenderness of their relationship right here? I mean, you can hear, I, I hear the tenderness there. Father, yes, my son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And now listen to the words of Abraham. Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, what? Together. Now, there's something very significant here, and, 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 and Abraham is, 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 is assuring his son God will provide the sacrifice, but, but there's something very subtle here, and, and I want you to notice the language. God will provide, what is the next word? Himself. There is a very subtle promise here that God is going to provide Himself as a sacrifice. Verse 9. 
When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, it's very unusual. There, there were no sacrifices, to my knowledge, that were required to be bound in the Old Testament. Okay? There's no place where God says, tie up your lamb, tie up your ram, tie up your goat, tie up your bull. There's no place in the Old Testament where sacrifices were bound. So obviously this is a very highly unusual thing. And, and ultimately what it's telling us is that Isaac was a willing sacrifice. You ask, well, why does it tell us that? How old is Abraham at this point? He, he's, pushing, uh, he's pushing like 115, 120. Okay. Abraham is an old man. He's got a teenage son. And, and, and the teenage son submits to being bound. The teenage son submits to being placed on an altar. The teenage son is, 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 he's been taught to follow God and to follow his father throughout his whole life. And the teenage son is, is open and willing to be offered as sacrifice in this context. And so, so when Abraham binds him, and then in verse 10, then Abraham reached out his hand. He took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. I mean, can you imagine, Abraham, there's the altar, there's the wood, there's his precious child, his only child, his only son who he loves. And he raises the knife and as he plunges the knife, his hand is stayed. The voice of God calls to him, stop! Now listen to these words. These are maybe the most important words here. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Question for you. Question. Who represents God the Father in this story? Who represents God the Father? Abraham, says she. Okay. Who, offer, who represents Jesus? Okay, Isaac, what if you're wrong about that? Who really represents Jesus in this story? The ram. The ram represents Jesus. Amen? The ram represents Jesus. In fact, how is the ram caught? The ram is caught in the thorn bush, the thicket, by its what? Horns, just like our Lord Jesus wore a crown of thorns. It's so interesting. Mo, uh, excuse me. Moses records Abraham as saying, in verse fourteen, Abraham called the name of that place, "The Lord will what provide." And here's the reason why God would ask Abraham to do such an awful thing. 
Abraham was a man of faith. He was a man who was a friend of God. He was a man of failure. He was also a man who was raised in a pagan culture. A pagan culture that felt the need to appease God. And I don't know about you, but I've been learning about how awesome God is for a long time. And in spite of the fact that I'm still learning about how awesome God is and how loving He is, I'm still tempted to imagine that He is angry at me at times. Am I the only one in this room that struggles with that kind of crazy thinking? I've been learning about how good God is and how wonderful Jesus is and what He's done to save me. And, and even after all of these years of focusing my attention on the goodness of God and the love of God, I still at times have false pictures of the goodness of God and the love of God in my mind. And Abraham was the same. He struggled with counterfeit pictures of God. He, he struggled just like we do with faith and failure, even though he was a friend of God. And so, so God creates this scenario where Abraham is, is like, oh, well, maybe this is what I should do. Maybe I need to make God happy. Maybe I do need to appease God with child sacrifice like they do around me. Maybe that's what I need to do. And so in the midst of that, okay, God, if that's what I need to do, I'm willing to do it. I trust in you. I believe in you. And the knife comes down and God stays his hand. And and God says, I'm not like that. I provide myself a sacrifice. In other words, this picture, this story is is designed to to clearly communicate. It's not us. It's not about us bringing a sacrifice to God. It's about God making a sacrifice of himself and bringing that gift to us. God provides the sacrifice, and God provided the sacrifice through the sacrifice of his son. But wait a minute. Now I want you to think about this. God does not want us to sacrifice our children, but he sacrifices his son? What's the difference? Here's the difference. Jesus was one with the Father, fully God, throughout all eternity. So, if you have your Bible, come with me to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want you to read verse 19 with me. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. I want you to follow these words. Super important text here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. Second Corinthians 5, verse 19. Follow these words. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. I want you to notice the first part of that verse. God was where? God was where? In Christ. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Jesus says in John 14, if you've seen me, you've what? Seen the Father. When God gave His Son Jesus, God Himself suffered in the Son. 
Okay? Let me read you. I want to read you a couple of quotations from one of the pioneers of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. God himself, listen, just a simple sentence, God himself was crucified with Christ. God himself was crucified with Christ, for Christ was one with the Father. Five Bible commentary, 1,108. Here's another one. It was at an infinite cost to the Father that man's salvation was purchased. The Father suffered with the Son to bring salvation within our reach. And here's one more. Again, another great quote from from one of the pioneers of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. Ellen White, she says this, that this redemption might be ours, God withheld not even the sacrifice of Himself. That this redemption might be ours, God withheld not even the sacrifice of Himself. He gave Himself in His Son. The Father suffered with Christ in all His humiliation and agony. And by the way, that one was written specifically to the Australians. My friends, I want you to understand something, that what God does is not some kind of perverse version, some deified version of child sacrifice. What God does in Christ is something radically different. When when the pagans offered child sacrifice, they were saying, God, you're mad, and we're going to appease you with child sacrifice. And in this case, God says, I have a judgment against sin but I myself am willing to bear that judgment. I have a judgment against your sin, but I myself am willing to bear that judgment, and I myself am willing to bear that judgment so it can be free from that judgment against your sin. Can you say amen to that? So at the end of the day here, my friends, when we're talking about Abraham's faith, we're talking about a man who learned to believe that God's, God was going to bear his judgment. We are talking about a man who learned to believe that God was going to give himself as sacrifice for human sin. We're talking about a man who learned to believe in a God who raises the dead. So when we are called to be people who have faith like Abraham, you say to yourself, I could never do what, what Abraham was called to do. The, you can say, I can do what Abraham was called to do. Abraham was called to believe in a God who would give himself in sacrifice, and Abraham was called to believe in a God who raises the dead. Can you do that? Then you have the faith of Abraham. Do you follow that, my friends, yes or no? God provided a sacrifice. He sacrificed himself for your sins and the sins of the world, and he raised Jesus from the dead so that we can be raised from the dead. And when we trust in a God who died for our sins and resurrects us from the dead, we are doing what Abraham did when he sacrificed Isaac. That's it. Can you say amen to that? So God says this. Genesis 22. Verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said... By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring 
shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now listen to that last sentence. In your offspring shall how many of the nations be blessed? All the nations. The offspring of Abraham that blesses the nations is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life in sacrifice for our sins. God himself in Christ suffered for your sins and mine and he was raised from the dead so that we might live. This story is ultimately the story of a man who believed in Jesus. That's it. The story of Abraham is the story of a man who believed in Jesus, a God who gave himself in sacrifice and gave us resurrection power. I'd like to invite the team up so that we can sing together. My appeal to you as they're coming up, my appeal to you is to be a person of faith, to believe that God has provided a sacrifice in your place, in Christ, and to trust that that God who provided the sacrifice also raised from the dead in Jesus, and he can give you life forever and ever. It depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, to those who share in his faith. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of the nations. As he had been told, so should your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he looked at his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in faith and gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's why faith was counted to him as righteousness. And the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. We will be righteous if we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised again for our justification. Father, thank you for this story of Abraham that shows us what real faith is about. Real faith isn't about us, it's about Jesus. Real faith is about the death, burial, and re resurrection of our Lord. That's where we cast our faith. That's where we cast our hope. And Lord, may we be your righteous people, saved by grace with the guarantee of the promise because the Lord himself was the sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.